Hi, welcome to the Mama Advocate Podcast. This is a safe place for adoptive and special needs mamas to feel less alone and find community amidst their unconventional journeys. Here, you're going to find authentic conversations for me and my guest who are parenting fully in the weeds with you. Our goal is to empower and encourage you to be the best mama you can be as you advocate for your people. Hey, mamas, I'm really excited to be here today with Whitney Runyon. This is so fun for me because I've been following her for a long time. And so um, it is such a treat to have you here with us, Whitney. And she's going to share a little bit of her adoption story. And she is the the founder of the Archibald Project. And um, so I'm excited about her just sharing all of her things that she's gleaned along the way and about her advocacy efforts. So Whitney, welcome. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Thank you for thinking of me. So Whitney, can you tell us just a little bit about your family and about your adoption journey so far? Yeah, definitely. Um, So my husband and I have been married for 14, a little over 14 years. And about a year and a half into marriage, I was like, hey, I want to adopt. And he was like, hey, I don't want to adopt. Um, So we have three adopted children. (laughs) (laughs) as you know, one does. Yeah. So we have three children that we adopted in 2017 from the Republic of Congo and they are all biological siblings. We have an 11 year old and two twins that are almost nine. Boy, girl. Yes. The oldest is a boy. And then we have twins that are a boy and a girl. That's so fun. They're, I'm really loving these ages because you can actually like talk really deep with them about things, you know, like, why am I feeling this way? Or why are you feeling this way? And why did so-and-so do what they did? And just kind of like go a little bit deeper than surface behavior. So that's been fun. Yeah. How old were they when they came to, to be Runyon's? Yes, they were, gosh, Nicholas was five, almost six. And the twins were almost four. So they were a little bit older. Um, and we did it all at once. And we, my husband and I actually moved there to Congo and lived with them for seven months until everything was finalized, uh, which was a really crazy seven months. Yeah. What did that look like? Um, well, you know, I, I had never been a parent before, so I had no idea the value of community and help. Um, and we didn't have any, you know, we were just like, I was thinking about how hard that must have been for my mom and my mother-in-law to see their children become first-time parents and A, not be able to be with their grandchildren, but also just not be able to help their children. It was a really hard, it was really hard. You know, you're dealing with three children that don't speak the language, um, your language. I didn't speak their language. And they had a lot of their past, you know, that was coming out. And we had a lot of our own traumas that was being triggered. And um, the sleep schedule was off. And my husband and I have lived abroad a handful, or we've been abroad a, a lot, but we've lived abroad before. And we weren't afraid of living abroad and we weren't afraid of the differences that living in cross-culture societies brings. Um, And we kind of knew what to expect, but we didn't understand what it would be like doing that with three children that were learning to trust you and bond to you and attach to you. So it's just really like going to the grocery store. It's not just going to the grocery store with three kids, which is already hard enough, right? 
it's, it was, yeah, like we had to walk 10 minutes to get a taxi and then there's no car seats. And then uh, it was just, uh, yeah, it's, I could talk for hours about, about those seven months, but it was just, it was really, really hard. And there was no sleep involved. Finally, we, um, we did get some respite with a nanny and she came once a week and babysat at night. And so we could go on a date night. But other than that, it was, and then my parents did come over for a little bit. Um, but it was, it was a dark, it was a dark season for all of us. Did you live in an apartment and they came and lived with you? Yes. So we, it was, we had legal custody. It was just a few things we were waiting on from the American embassy. And, you know, we didn't think it would be very long. So we're like, okay, well, we should go ahead and start the bonding process. Cause like you mentioned earlier, we started a nonprofit called the Archibald project and we ran it. So we were like, oh, we can just work from anywhere because it's ours. Um, so we moved to the Congo in May thinking we'll be home soon. And, and we were, I mean, seven months really in the big scheme of life isn't that long. So, yeah. But if it could feel like forever when you're dealing with all of those layers. Yeah. There were a lot of layers. That's a good way to put it. I didn't know. I thought that the nonprofit came after adoption. No, tell me about that then. Maybe I should have switched my questions up. Yeah. So we actually met our children through our work with the Archibald Project. Um, In 2015, well, okay. So let me take you way back. Please do. In um, 2011, I was a wedding photographer and my husband was an airline pilot. And I really felt... Like I was supposed to reach out to this old acquaintance I had had in high school and I hadn't kept up with her and ask if I could photograph her two-year-old daughter. And so I did. And the woman said yes. And so the whole time I was in the photo shoot, I was like, why am I here? Lord, why am I here? Why did you bring me here? What is that supposed to be? I didn't feel like I had any revelation. And at the very end of the photo shoot, I looked at her and I was like, so are you guys going to have any more children? And she kind of was like, well, we're actually in the process of adopting. And I felt like deep in my soul, I felt I heard the words, you are supposed to go with them to Bulgaria and photograph their adoption. And so I looked at this woman who I did not really know. And I was like, oh my gosh, can I come with you? I think I'm supposed to go with you to Bulgaria and photograph your adoption. She was like, uh, let me talk to my husband. And I was like, oh yeah, let me talk to my husband too. <laughs> That whole thing. Um, but because Nick was an airline pilot, we could travel really f- like for free, um, last minute internationally. And so we did a few months later, we got on a flight with her husband and we traveled to Bulgaria and then we drove across Bulgaria to this really small town and we went into a special needs orphanage. We documented this adoption and Nick and I, my husband is Nick. We had never experienced anything like that. We'd never seen anything like that. We were rocked for a lot of reasons, but something that was really cool that came out of it is I put the pictures on Facebook just because I was a photographer and they were beautiful. I thought it was a beautiful story. And so a few weeks later, a total stranger reached out and was like, I just want to let you know that because of your photos, the Lord led us to our son and we're now adopting a chronically ill child from Ukraine. And if it hadn't been for these photos, we never would have found our son. And so that's when my husband and I were like, what kids wait photos can help children in need 
And so we got with a lawyer and we formed a 501c3 nonprofit to advocate for children um, all over the world. And we named it after the little Bulgarian boy who's Archie and his name is Arch. His full name is Archibald. So we named it the Archibald Project. And that was in, it finalized in 2012. And then we just spent all of our free time and vacation time traveling the world with families who were adopting and documenting their adoptions with the intent of encouraging and inspiring more people to adopt. Well, fast forward to 2013 or 14, 2014, we were in Uganda and we realized, wait, not all not all children in orphanages need to be adopted and not all children in orphanages should be in an orphanage. And not all orphanages are good. And so we were really rocked to our core about this. And we really wanted to use our voice and platform to shed light on kind of more ethical practices around vulnerable childcare. And so we came back to America um, and Nick quit his airline job and I stopped taking weddings. And we decided to move to Uganda very short term to get more, like understand more about this. Um, and then when we came back, we were like, we got like, I mean, I, I, and, and it's okay. Like I'm not faulting anybody, but you know, I had heard things in here in the West, like if every Christian adopted, there'd be no more orphans in the world. And that's what I believed. I was like, then we all, we all just need to go adopt. Adoption is the answer. And it's not, it's not even close to being the answer. And so we came back from Uganda really, really impassioned to, to educate more people on what truly is helping, what is hurting and how to ethically go about caring for vulnerable children. And so that led us into meeting our children. Actually, we, um, we had an email from a woman and she was like, you know, can you come to the Congo with me and document my adoption? And I was pretty calloused at that point and kind of frustrated. And I sent back a kind email, but it was more like, how do you know these kids need to be adopted? Like, how do you know they're not being trafficked? How do you know they don't have living parents in the village that want them? And she sent me back a very long email explaining exactly how she knew that was not the case and how she had been matched in an adoption in the DRC Congo with children that had been trafficked and they were human trafficking them. And they shut that adoption down as soon as they found out. And then she spent the next year trying to truly find a children's home that was honoring the first families, employing them, and then only, only doing an international adoption when family, when family reunification or um, local families could not take that child. And so they had a very small person. I think they had like done two international adoptions. It was very small. What they really focused on was supporting women so that they could take, get their kids out of the orphanage and be a family in, in the Congo, in the Republic of Congo. And so we fell in love with that mission. We're like, yeah, we'll come. This is great. And we'll do a whole story over the babies home there. And when we were there, we met three children and we were like, oh my gosh, they're so great. But we weren't thinking about adoption at that time. We came home from that trip, kept doing our thing. And then, um, 
uh, two years later, yeah, we got another, we had stayed in contact with them. <laughs> the end. So it's been a crazy journey. And since we've been home the past five years, things have looked a lot different for my role with the Archibald project um, and Nick's role, but we're still really passionate about, we're really passionate about children having a safe adult because the statistics, the statistics prove that, you know, just one safe adult can truly change the trajectory of a child's life. And so we are still using our platforms, videos, speaking engagements, podcasts, uh, Instagram to really advocate for people to just care and get involved with children. Yeah. I love that. (laughs) I love like watching your stories and just getting to see it all unfold. It's It's, it's been a journey. I mean, absolutely. (laughs) So we're passionate about ethical adoption. Like, I don't think that I, I mean, even going through adoption classes and before we adopted and wanting to adopt from Africa, and maybe I was told this and just because that's not the road we, because we did not take that road. I don't know if I just, it got flushed out of my mind somehow. Right. But how, how do families know, like I make up that most families who want to adopt don't want to be trafficking humans, right? Like that's not their goal. So how do they even begin to like vet that process? Yeah. So it's, there's a lot of different ways. I don't feel completely comfortable saying these are the exact steps, but I can tell people red flags. So a big red flag is when you are matched with a child. Um, If you ask for like paper finances to try to follow the, like, where, where is the orphanage spending their money? And where is my money going when I give you, when I give the adoption agency money? And if they don't want to disclose that big red flag, you can always um, fake that too. So that's not, you don't just end there. If they're like, oh, here's our finances. Great. That's a good thing. Um, Another thing would be is when you are matched, at least if you're matched with a child, that can be really hard because I always tell people, and we did this too, hire a private investigator in the country to get the story that is it's not they're not associated with the children's home they're not associated with the orphanage or with the adoption agency because even um I'm not going to say who even very large very prominent christian adoption agencies here in the states have been known to turn a blind eye to human trafficking in the adoption world for the sake of, well, it's better for a child to be raised here in a Christian home than like where they were born in their family, which is just absurd to me. Like I'm not going to go down that road right now, but I would say, how do you hire, how do you find a private investigator? It's actually not that hard. So if there's a baby's home, there's probably a, a lawyer go to like the Google. So Google the biggest city in that country and say, Google private investigators. And if you're adopting from Uganda, private investigators in Kampala, which is the biggest city there. And if a private investigator doesn't pop up, then you can Google lawyers. If that doesn't, if you can't find anything there, Google expats even and go in Facebook groups and say, Hey, has anybody heard of this baby's home in this village? Or is anybody worked with this home or can I pay you 
to go to this baby's home, show up unannounced and just check things out and see what's going on. Dig around, ask more questions because nine times, not nine times out of 10, 80% of the time, (laughs) um, those children shouldn't be there. And they do have, I don't want to say 80% of the time, 80% of the time, children living in children's homes have one or more living parents. Even if you have a living parent, doesn't mean that's like the safest place for you as a child. However, there are tons of ways to keep children safely in their country of origin without an international adoption. Um, another thing that I, I wouldn't even ask the agent, I mean, yes, ask the agency that you're going through, but like, why is this child being adopted in the first place? Why, how long has this child been there? Another thing that I think is very odd is when you've been on, um, if you like sign up right away to be adopted, to adopt and you get a baby, like internationally, if a baby shows up at a baby's home, there is, there is so many, there are so many steps that that agency and the adopt the baby's home should be going through to ensure that that child cannot go back to family, that there's not some grandma out there that wants the child that some local family would foster the child. Um, so that child shouldn't be adopted. You know what I mean? Like, and I don't mean that that if you adopted a child that's nine months or younger, 18 months and younger, that that child was trafficked. I don't know. I'm not the police here, but to me, that would be a red flag if I was matched with a very young child, because that means not every single, um, every single way has been, you know, worked out to make sure that that child truly needs to be adopted. And my biggest thing too is, man, I don't want my kids to be 15, 18, 30, and look at me and be like, mom, why did you adopt me? And me be like, I really wanted a baby or I really wanted a kid. Like that makes it about me. Right. And so just being able to lick my children in the eyes and say, I did everything I could in my power to ensure that international adoption was the last option for you because I mourn that you can't be with your biological family. I mourn that you can't, couldn't have stayed in your country of origin. I mourn that with you. Let's grieve together rather than just being like, well, I really wanted a cute little kid and this was an easy fix or something. I mean, sorry. I feel really, sometimes I can get to be a really big Debbie Downer in this space. (laughs) Um, I feel that way about the foster care system. So I feel, I feel <laughs> you. I feel you. I'm like, I don't know if you really want me to talk to them about foster care because I might not have some kind of thing to say. <laughs> I get it. Hey, let's take a quick break. Mama, I know that you are doing a great job, but maybe there's something you've been neglecting, like yourself or your marriage, the rest of your family or the systems in your home. Or maybe you're just ready for a change, but you don't know where to start. That's where we come in. Mama Systems can help you put systems in place so that your family is more organized, more peaceful, and more balanced. And so that you feel like you can get everything done that you need to get done during the day. We'll help make sure that you have a plan to advocate for your child in school and in the community, that you take care of yourself, your marriage, and the rest of your family, and that you have systems in place to help build teamwork mentality in your home and make daily life more manageable. All of this is doable and you deserve it, Mama. Check out mamasystems.net today. All right, back to our show. 
No, but you know, I mean, here's the thing is I never want to demonize anybody. Like if, if somebody has already gone down this road, you don't know what you don't know, but once you know, you know. And so if somebody's listening to this right now and they're like, oh my gosh, wait, I adopted a nine month old baby. How do I know that child was trafficked? I, if I didn't ask any of these questions. What do I do? That's okay. Like, don't, don't beat yourself up, but maybe there are some things you could do. I mean, I have heard of people going back and trying to find actual records and hiring private investigators after the child has come home with them and Mm -hmm. then maintaining a healthy, safe relationship with family that they found that were told they were dead. Um, So there's definitely things that you can do and that I don't don't want to start giving advice. I'll be quiet. That that was perfect. (laughs) People are curious, right? They want to know. They want to know. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. I'm I'm curious about in the United States. Is Mm -hmm. this also a problem in the United States? It is. Yeah. There's a lot of coercion that can happen with birth moms. Um, There are not enough there's not enough counsel that goes on with a pregnant woman to really set them up to be separated from their child when they choose to place. And then there's not enough care afterwards for the birth mom in a, in a lot of situations. I'm not going to say it doesn't exist out there. There are some amazing, amazing adoption agencies that we've interviewed on our podcast that they are uh, birth mom first. So they only work with women who they've tried and counseled and like are really trying to help get them to parent. And then if they decide, you know, I've gone through all this counseling, I cannot parent, then they will find a family for that child. Um, but they're not out there. They don't have a big long list of adoptive parents. And then it's just like, oh, a baby for any family. And, and I don't mean that that is a very, probably a bad way to say it, but, but yes, there, it does happen in the States. Uh, it doesn't always happen, but it does happen. Okay. And you see that as more like less human trafficking and more like no counsel or little counsel with mom. Yeah. Yeah. That, and I mean, I have heard cases where there is some, um, I say this. I have heard of some cases. I would say this is the very rare, very rare, where women have been pursued by an adoption agency or an adoptive, hopeful adoptive family for that baby in the in the womb. Um. Yeah. And there's different views on ethics of, you know, I understand we've never had biological children. I 100% understand that desire. Um, But you can't put your own desires in front of uh, somebody else, like a birth mom or a child who should not have an adult's desires placed on them. Does that make sense? Like I can never, I should never put my desire for a child onto a child who already has parents because- I am not, uh, I do not have a right to that child. I'm not their family, biological family, you know? Um, and for me to try to put my will on that child or that biological family is not okay in my book. So 
I don't remember your question now because I got off on a tangent. (laughs) That was more like, I was asking about like the human trafficking side versus the lack of support and education for the mama, for the birth mom. But you know, I mean, here's the thing is adoptive parents get a bad, have gotten a bad rap. There There are a lot of bad people in the world for sure. I believe there are so many amazing, wonderful people who truly want to do the right thing and they are adopting because they want to adopt, because they want to help, because they want a child. And those things in in and of themselves is not bad. It's when that becomes the main focus and the driving thing that they neglect any other ethical option out there and they put this higher. Does that make sense? Yes, okay. absolutely. So I feel like people are going to be like, wow, this is, this is a heavy, heavy interview. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's lighten it up. Okay. Give me a sec. And all my questions are really serious. So can I tell you that in 1990-something, I don't know. I don't know how old I was. It's like 12 years old. And I read a story about the Civil War going on in the Congo. And that article is what like put adoption on my heart. And so I feel like I just have this really special place in my heart for the Congo. So I love that y'all adopted from there. That's really sweet. Yeah. It's a cool history and um, beautiful people, beautiful groups of people. And yeah, it's a really cool history. So what are you guys doing now if you're no longer traveling the world taking photos of adoptions? Yeah, so we stopped we stopped the adoption thing. We didn't stop it. That's not true. We that just wasn't our focus when we got back from Uganda. Um we started uh we started an how do I even say it? I forgot my, cause it was so long ago that we did it. I forgot my elevator pitch for it, but basically a travel show based on international orphan care and ethical practices around that. So we went to six different countries and we found a local person. We did research, you know, beforehand, but we would highlight what the problem was in that country, why there were orphans to begin with, what even an orphan was, and then what the country was doing in response to their orphan crisis. And um, also, I should probably say the word orphan can even offend people. So I apologize if I am overgeneralizing vulnerable children when I use the word orphan. That is not my intent. Um, but we so we did this travel show and it was I loved it. We ended up in a few meetings with some different production companies in California because there were some networks that were interested in picking it up for like a streaming platform. Ultimately, it never got picked up because it was uh, too heavy and they couldn't sell ads around it. And there wasn't a celebrity attached to it because I was the host. (laughs) It was my husband and me and... Yeah. So uh, we released it on YouTube. So that's on YouTube. And then under the Archibald Project, it's called The Advocates. And then we, since, and we start, we released some of those after we got home with our kids because we had shot them all and then we were editing them. And then they started releasing once we had our children. 
And then since we've been home, we've really been focused a lot more on domestic stuff and what's going on with foster care and what has been and what's going on and how to educate people on potentially the harms of orphanages existing. So we started, we worked with another organization and we made a cart, like a animation series. It's really short, three minutes, each video, there's three of them explaining why orphanages aren't the best place for children and how people can actually help vulnerable children and families. And uh, it's called Reimagine Orphan Care. Um, So that was a fun project. It took a very long time to make because the animation process is very long, I've found. Um, And then we've been doing some screenings of a foster care film we made about a boy who was adopted in foster care at 17 and it was a really special just a really powerful story because he wanted like he wanted to share his story because he had um he had had two failed adoptions and he was living in a detention center because there were no foster homes that were open to a 16 year old african-american boy and he didn't have a record or anything like that. He just, nobody said yes. And then one family did. And, and yeah, you just got to go watch the movie. Um, And what is it called? uh, Take a chance on me. Okay. Um, Cause he says that in his interview and it just like hit Nick, my husband. And he was just like, wow. Okay. Um, and then, yeah, we've just been working with other organizations local here in Austin and around just trying to really advocate and use our platforms for sharing the information that we know and we found. Um, I love it. I don't, I wasn't aware of all the fun offshoots of you and your goodness. (laughs) Well, so here's the funny thing, uh, because of my motherhood journey, I, um, I needed my personal space from, uh, the orphan care world. Mm -hmm. So I have stepped away mm, pretty much full time now. Uh, and so it's basically just my husband and our uh, content creator, Hannah, that are keeping the Archibald project going right now. And I am, I started, it's so random and it just happened. So I'm following the doors that open with it, but I started a like social media strategy company for businesses and I'm really busy with it. And I'm loving it because I'm still getting to do photography and cre- and I'm creative and I'm helping businesses grow and, you know, Nick, I, so that kind of happened in Jan- this past January and about a month out, Nick was like, you're a different person. And I was like, yeah, because I'm not constantly hearing heavy, tragic stories at work and then coming home to a house that is very heavy. Cause yeah, we've been a family for five years, but there's still lots of things that are happening in our house with our children in their past. Um, so I just, it was like a it was a good break for me. And I have no idea. Maybe I'll go back. Maybe I won't. But right now I'm running social media accounts for businesses. So I love that. I'm proud of you for stepping away and <sighs> you needed that break. 
Thanks. Yeah. I didn't know. I didn't know I needed it. It just happened and I'm loving it. Amazing. Okay. Is there anything else that you want to share with us? If we were like Um, wanting to dive in more into this ethical adoption situation. Yeah. So we have a podcast called Around the World with the Archibald Project. And we interview a lot of former foster youth adults. Mm -hmm. We interview adoption agencies that can help explain better and more in depth the red flags that you should be noticing. Um, We talk to different, like, you know, different people with different expertise, therapists, child psychologists, um, different races to help people like, okay, so maybe I have adopted a child from China. So we're talking to an adult who was adopted from China and can talk about the differences in race within your family and things like that. Um, so our podcast is a great resource for people, for adoptive and foster families and people who just want to get involved somehow. Um, and the reimagined orphan care. Like I really didn't have much to do with reimagined orphan care. That was on my husband and this other nonprofit, but it is so good. And it's three minutes. Yeah. Like I said, each episode is three minutes and it really breaks it down. And I, I'm like, everybody should see this. This needs to be like, every church should be watching this. Every church should be taking this to their international missions. And like, cause people don't know that like funding an orphanage really isn't the best use of money and can actually be hurting a lot of communities and families abroad. And so, yeah. Wait to watch. Okay. I mean, you've given me a lot of homework to do here. <laughs> go watch all these things. Sorry. <laughs> Listen to your podcast now. Don't be sorry. I love it. I'm encouraged by you guys. Encouraged okay. by the work you've done. So thank you. Thank you. This is really kind of you to think of me and to reach out. Well, you're so welcome. Thank you for coming on. Absolutely. My pleasure. Hey, I'm so glad that you joined us today. If this episode blessed you at all, would you mind leaving a review or sharing with others? This, as you know, will help other mamas find us and in turn will bless them. Hey, thanks so much for trusting us with your time today.